I said, I love Muslims and Muslims love me. Not even world-renowned televangelist Dr. Marilyn Hickey could have seen this coming. It's beyond my imagination that we would have a million in one meeting. And that meeting with one million Muslims filled the streets of Karachi, Pakistan. They gathered to hear this 85-year-old grandmother share the good news about Jesus. I want to tell you something. No one may know your name, but Jesus knows your name. What has been the reaction to you saying that to a million people in Karachi? He knows where you are, who you are, has a plan, a destiny for your life. Dr. Hickey began her preaching in a small Denver church, evolving into an international TV ministry, now reaching out to the Muslim world. The reason I'm focusing is because before all of this was such a mess in the world, God spoke to me to pray. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The Lord is here this morning, and he's here to do a work in our midst. Hallelujah. Would you give the Lord praise for the tongues and interpretation today hallelujah we had a clip and the Lord interrupted there and we want to obey the Lord and they put off the sound I'm going to have them play the clip one more time guys if you can do that I hope you can do that because the clip is I just want the people to see this I said uh, I love Muslims and Muslims love me not even world renowned televangelist Dr. Marilyn Hickey could have seen this coming it's beyond my imagination that we would have a million in one meeting. And that meeting with one million Muslims filled the streets of Karachi, Pakistan. They gathered to hear this 85-year-old grandmother share the good news about Jesus. I want to tell you something. No one may know your name, but Jesus knows your name. What has been the reaction to you saying that to a million people in Karachi? He knows where you are, who you are, has a plan, a destiny for your life. Dr. Hickey began her preaching in a small Denver church, evolving into an international TV ministry, now reaching out to the Muslim world. The reason I'm focusing is because before all of this was such a mess in the world, God spoke to me to pray over Muslim countries. And, you know, I thought, this is crazy. You know, I'm an American woman. So I memorized like 40 countries and prayed over them every day for a long time, maybe four years or more, then God began to send me to them. Marilyn gives all the glory to Jesus, and through him, she says, her mass gatherings have seen countless miracles. These crowds that are turning up to see you preach the gospel are, are bigger than the rock stars in America. <laughs> well, don't ask me why. I, you know, they call me mom. <laughs> and I'm telling you, the Muslims call me a mother of Pakistan. So that's God's favor. But I don't compromise anything. I tell exactly how Jesus died for your sins, arose from the dead. If you repent and believe that, he will come into your heart. So, you know, it's not a compromising message, but it's a healing message for spirit, soul, and body. Hallelujah.
in all the years of my ministry, I have never been challenged by the Lord in my study as I have this week. I had even changed my message to what I was going to or had already prepared for this morning. And the word that I'm going to give you is going to be a very controversial word amongst some of us as Pentecostals. But the Lord has definitely rattled my cage, and I know without a shadow of a doubt he's going to rattle this cage here today. Without a shadow of a doubt, if I've ever heard from the presence of God, I've heard from him about this service today. And I want you to pay heed to what God is saying. If you have your Bibles and you can remain seated, you've been up and down a lot today. Zechariah chapter 3, verse 1 through 4. We have done a series on Zechariah a few years ago, and I went across this material, but I have never preached to what I'm going to be preaching today. Zechariah chapter 3, verse 1 through 4. The Bible says, and he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to resist him. And the Lord said unto Satan, the Lord rebuke thee, O Satan, even the Lord that hath chosen Jerusalem rebuke thee, is not this a brand plucked out of the fire? Now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and stood before the angel. And he answered and spake unto those that stood before him, saying, take away the, uh, the filthy garments from him. And unto him he said, Behold, I have caused thy iniquity to pass from thee, and I will clothe thee with a change of raiment. I'm going to ask Brother Bob Fisher, one of our elders, to pray over the service this morning. Brother Bob. We can't bless him enough. Would you lift your hands and worship him? Hallelujah. We praise you for the word today, God. We praise you what you're doing here in this service in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. You know, our text is the fourth vision of, of, many, of, uh, of a series of visions that God gave to Zechariah. And any time that you begin to study in depth these kinds of subjects, you'll find that they're tied to other series of events, other places, and other times. I could preach a solid year probably just on this vision for alone. And my goal is to preach to you on a small piece of revelation from these scriptures that the Lord has actually placed within my heart. No doubt we see that revival is happening around the world. The clip that I showed you of Marilyn Hickey, an 85-year-old woman that is preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ to a million Muslims in Pakistan. Folks, that is a miracle. That is an end time move like we have never seen in our lifetime. And I want to tell you, that's a miracle. And I'm going to show you a clip tonight. I'm also going to be preaching tonight. And I'm going to be showing you a clip tonight of how God is working throughout uh, India, which is a Hindu country. Whether it's Muslim country, whether it's a Hindu country, it cannot bind the hand of God. Can I have an amen? And yet we wonder, why is the hindrance of revival? And why is it not happening right here within America? 
America as a whole. We're not seeing the move of God in the United States like that we're seeing in other countries around the world. Some say it's because of our sin and corruption that's taking place throughout our land. We have political corruption like we have never seen in the history of our nation. We have natural, a national abominations such as abortion and same-sex marriages that is not only a practice in our land, but it's the laws of our land. And there's a difference in practicing sin in a land and making sin a law of your land. We have identity crisis where there's another gender being formed here in America. It started right here on our soil. It's called a third gender. This is where they don't want to be recognized as male and female being defined in the way they were created by God. And they want freedom of expression to be what they want, when they want, whatever is convenient to them at the time. If there's a tax break by being a female, then they'll be a female. If it's going to give them a job by being a male, they'll be a male. Whatever's convenient, they'll say that they're male or female by their own convenience. And even though all of this is true, yet the fact of the matter is this. All of the nations around the world are, are, are defiled by sin and have become darkened. Each nation has its own set of problems, its sins, and its strongholds. Many nations of the world have dictators that is much more corrupt and much more worse than even our present government. So it's not our government's fault of what's happening here in America or why there is not revival. Today I want to show you what I think is one of our problems of not having a revival in America. It is the fourth, in this fourth vision of Zechariah, he is focused upon leadership. And even though leadership is referring to Joshua in these verses of scripture, yet in context, it is speaking to the whole house of Israel because they, Israel, was to be the nation of priests to the world. And so in reference to our times, in modern day times, in the 21st century, how is these scriptures going to speak to us? Symbolically, we can say that the leadership that he is referring to here in these scriptures can be referring to the church because the church, the body of Christ, is to be the governing factor of the kingdom of God on earth as the a nation of priests. Did you not understand that, that you and I are to be the governing factor of the kingdom of God here on earth? The Bible tells us in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people that you should show forth the praises of him who's called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. I'm about to preach to you here today. The church is not only a priesthood. The church is a nation. It is a kingdom. And you and I are to help rule God's kingdom here on earth. Can I have an amen? You and I are to be the ones that's in charge. You and I are the ones that has to have the dominion. You and I are the ones that's to have authority in this kingdom called the kingdom of God. But in the Old Testament, leadership was formed with three offices. It was the priest, it was the prophet, and it was the king. Zechariah is the prophet who is the writer of these visions. And we see that Joshua is restored in vision four uh, to be the high priest. And we see that Zerubbabel will come on the scene in vision six as the civil leader. So we see that leadership will begin to be completed in the visions of Zechariah. No restoration can occur in a land without having the proper leadership in place. Do you understand? Everything rises and falls upon leadership. Revival cannot and it will not come to America until leadership the church of Jesus Christ gets in its rightful
beautiful place. We don't have a nation problem. We have a church problem. Can I have an amen? There is a positioning that the church has to get into before true restitution and restoration can come to our land. How do I know that? Second Chronicles 7, 14, that we quote all the time. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sins and I will heal their land. If the church will position themselves right, we have the power as the priesthood of Christ to go to and fro throughout this land and bring healing to our land. We have the power to bring restoration to our land. We have power to push back darkness that the glorious rays of Jesus Christ can shine upon the hearts of men and women. Can you say amen? Give the Lord praise in this house. I got to get that out or I'm going to blow Pum up. Can I have an amen? You better lift your hands and worship and honor the presence of God in this place. He's speaking to this congregation right now. Reverence him. Reverence the Holy Ghost because he's speaking to this congregation. He that have here, let him hear what the Spirit of the Lord is saying to this church this morning. Let us not take this for granted and let's be aware and reverence the Word of God and hear it and take it to heart today. For us to understand and get a clear picture of what I think God wants to speak to us about, we have to investigate the characters introduced to us within these scriptures. We see Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord. As Joshua attempts to enter into the presence of the Lord in prayer, in praise, in petition, in intercessory, in adoration, we see he's distracted by an unwelcome presence of Satan who is standing at his right hand resisting him. We see Satan interfering and he's doing a good job of it. He's actually effective in what he's doing. We know that the devil or Satan throughout the scripture is called what? The accuser of the brethren. How many knows that the devil is an accuser of the brother? So we see Satan standing at Joshua's right hand, accusing him before God as Joshua tries to present himself to the Lord in the heavenlies in prayer. It would be difficult for any of us, you and I, to pray with, with Satan at our right hand, whispering, if not shouting, pronouncing accusations against us. Have you ever faced that before in prayer? I have. Have you ever sat down to pray? Haven't you ever tried to pray and all of a sudden you felt condemnation and guilt and a sense of unworthiness due to the devil reminding you of all of your failures, reminding you of all of your past, which in return produce doubt and a feeling of rejection. And those doubts and feelings of rejection produce something else. It produced a feeling as if your prayers were hitting the ceilings and bouncing back down at you. It produced a feeling of doubt and unbelief that caused an atmosphere where it seemed like the heavens were brash and that God had turned his face away from you. Have you ever felt that as a believer? Have you ever experienced that? I have. There's been many times when I'd get down to pray and the enemy would be standing at right my, my right side bombarding me and speaking all of the things of where I failed and what I've done and even the things that ain't even maybe sin he's just there to accuse you and ridicule you and distract you and buffet you he does everything he can to try to stop you from entering into the presence of God haven't you ever seen Satan so have you ever seen Satan so strong in these last days as he is right now no doubt Satan
Satan's attempt affected Joshua's concentration, his poise, his presence of mind, his faith, his mental status. The devil's attempt is to break any connection that we make with God. Can I tell you, this is his goal, this is his objective, his complete mission is to keep us separated from God himself. But I want to also see that Joshua and Satan are not the only, uh, are not only in Joshua's attempt to come before the presence of God, but I want you to see something else. The angel of the Lord is present also. It's not just Joshua and Satan alone, but the angel of the Lord is there. The angel of the Lord, God's messenger in this passage of scripture, will blow you away, but it's depicted in scripture to be the pre-incarnated role of Jesus Christ, that it's Christ in the Old Testament, the messenger of God, and every scholar agrees with this. I have found no one that did not believe it by other studies, and we don't have time to uncover all that. I cannot cover everything in one sermon, but we see that Jesus is also present in Joshua's attempt to connect with God. And when we look at this passage very carefully, there are many questions that comes to our mind about the events that are going to take place. I would have to admit that these passages of Scripture really bothered me for years, and I didn't understand them, and I just, I'd look at it, and I'd read it, and i think, how can that be? I did not quite understand them until I'd done an in-depth study of Zechariah a couple of years ago, and I did not understand some of it until just this week. And I've been serving the Lord for 37 years or 38 years in ministry, studying the Word of God, and there's a rhema word being given to me here today that I have never seen myself. Can you say the Word of the Lord is alive? Can I have an amen? Have you ever wondered why did not Joshua just simply rebuke the devil? Have you ever wondered why? There he is going into prayer. He's headed before the Lord. Satan's at his right hand, accusing him, buffing him, snickering at him, laughing at him, mocking him, ridiculing him. Why didn't Joshua just say, shut up, I rebuke you? As a matter of fact, why is Satan standing there at Joshua's right hand in the first place? These are questions I never could understand as a young minister. Can Satan interfere at will when we go before God in prayer and in praise and committal? And can he distract us effectively as he has distracted this man called Joshua, the high priest? When you and I come before this altar to pray, can Satan just come right along beside us? When we get into the heavenlies and present ourselves before God in a spiritual sense and we're lifted up into heavenly places in Christ Jesus and we're presenting ourselves in our spirits before the Lord in prayer, can Satan come there and distract us like he did Joshua? Why does it the angel Yahweh, why does it the pre-incarnated of Christ chase him away and prevent this devil from coming into that, that showroom or that upper room in the heavenlies himself? I don't understand. Notice what happens in Zechariah chapter 3 verse 2. And the Lord said unto Satan, the Lord rebuked thee, O Satan, even the Lord that has chosen Jerusalem rebuked thee. Is not this a brand plucked out of the fire? Oh, we're going to have some preaching here. This whole passage can be quite confusing if we do not pay attention to what's going on. I want us to review and sort through and pay close attention to our characters again and see what they are doing and what they are not doing. Sometimes we pay attention to what people do, but sometimes we better be paying attention to what they don't do as well. First of all, we have Joshua. We see Satan. We also see the angel of the Lord, the pre-incarnated of Christ. It is here in this text that we see that the angel of the Lord says to Satan, the Lord rebuke you. Now, who's the angel of the Lord? The pre-incarnation of Christ says to him, the Lord rebuke thee. He also tells us who the Lord is. Oh, Satan, even the Lord that has chosen Jerusalem, he rebukes thee. First of all, he, that's who he's commissioned to rebuke thee. Who is it that has chosen Jerusalem as his holy city? 
We know who that is all through Scripture. I mean, I could quit, give you hundreds of them. It is none other than Jehovah God the Father himself. How many knows that God the Father, Jehovah, has claimed Jerusalem as his holy city? The Palestinians say that Jerusalem and Israel is theirs, and, and Israel says it's theirs, but God says in Zechariah, no, 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 Jerusalem is mine. Can I have an amen? So now we see a fourth figure coming into play here. We see Father Jehovah on the scene. Notice that it was the angel of the Lord, the pre-incarnated one of Jesus Christ, not Joshua, that calls on the Lord, Jehovah God the Father, to rebuke Satan. Wow, do we not have a high priest or what? Can I have an amen? Do we not have a great high priest as the children of God praying over us, for us, pleading, pleading our case? Do you interceding for us? Can you give Jesus Christ praise for praying for us here today? There he is. Interceding for Joshua, praying for Joshua, looking out for Joshua's best interest. He's on Joshua's side. Can I have an amen? But we are dealing here with Satan interjecting himself into our prayer and worship setting. And as important as that is, yet we see that even the angel of the Lord in this passage, which is the pre-incarnated of Jesus Christ, does not rebuke Satan himself directly. Instead, he calls on the Lord, God the Father, Jehovah God, to exercise authority over him and to rebuke him. I don't have time to get into spiritual warfare, but I want to tell you, we better be very careful in how we go a battle against the enemy. This enemy's real. He's powerful. He's mighty. And you better be careful with what you say, and you better be careful with your words. Can I have an amen? We better really understand what it means to bind and to loose and to rebuke. We better really understand what it means to have dominion, to exercise authority. And we better move with caution and wisdom, and we better have godly fear. And here's the problem. Some people don't want to get spiritual enough to go into spiritual warfare, so they do no spiritual warfare at all, and they die. And others are not wanting to pay the price for spiritual warfare and they get caught up in some charismatic tangible and they get out there and they begin to fight devils that they are not equipped to fight and they get destroyed. So as a whole, the church sits at bay, not doing anything, making any impact for the kingdom of God and yet we're to be the priest of God that is in order and that takes charge of this thing called planet earth. Amen? The book of Jude, chapter nine, or verse nine says... But even the archangel Michael, when he was disputing with the devil about the body of Moses, did not himself dare to condemn him nor slander, but say, the Lord rebuke thee. Have you ever thought about that passage of scripture? Michael, the archangel, one of the most powerful angels that there is, would not even condemn, slander, or rebuke the devil, but he called on the Lord to rebuke him. Amen? Look at 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 11. But the angels who are far greater in power and strength, do not dare to bring forth, to bring from the Lord a charge of judgment against those supernatural beings. Talking about the devils, the demons, the unclean spirits and things. In other words, the angels who is much more powerful than they, but yet they would not dare pronounce judgment or bring a rebuke against them. We have Michael the archangel that won't rebuke the devil. We have, we have angels that won't rebuke the devil, but they won't, even, they won't even make a railing accusation against them. This thing called spiritual warfare is very serious, and we better know what we're doing when we get engaged. Let's examine and look deeper and find the real problem in this text. After the angel of the Lord, which is Christ, asked for the Lord, which is the Father Jehovah God, to bring a rebuke, we see that none is given nor none is offered. 
Notice that. Here we see God Jehovah being silent. The question is why? Why is there no rebuke given on behalf of Joshua? Why is not God coming to the defense of this high priest? Instead of a verbal rebuke levied at Satan, we say activity centers around Joshua himself instead. Wow, that seems so unfair, so wrong, so out of order. Why would it be Joshua that stands in questioning instead of Satan, the father of lies, the manipulator, the murderer, the evil one? How would you feel if you went before the throne of God and there's the devil ridiculing you and mocking you and all of a sudden the Lord's on your side and the angel of the Lord, he's asking the God, the Father to rebuke, but the Father would not rebuke. Instead of rebuking the devil, he begins to criticize and he begins to pick your life apart. That's what God's doing in this context against Joshua. The center of attention is placed on verse three. Now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments which stood before the angel. Oh, get ready. Are you ready? Look at somebody and say, get ready. Now you got to look at somebody and say, get your hearing open. Because I'm going to go against some the grains of some of the things you've been taught in Pentecost. Instead of a thundering rebuke towards Satan, what follows here is a wardrobe instructions for Joshua. We see that the garments are splattered with dung, manure, filthiness. They're not only filthy, but they represent a clear violation of the law, which makes him worthy of judgment. Are you with me? He's not to have any spot or blemish on that as a high priest. And when he come and presented himself before God with dung on his robe, animal stuff where he had been out there around them. Animal, I want to tell you, it was, a clear, it was a clear violation of the law, and Joshua was opening himself up to judgment. Sometimes I don't think we understand just how just and holy and right the Lord is in all of his doings. And matter of fact, the Lord is so fair, so honest, and so upright that he is even fair to Satan himself. That's how holy God is. You say, what do you mean? Satan's legal right to appear alongside of Joshua to accuse him and make accusation was empowered by Joshua's own filthy garments. The reason Satan was not rebuked was because he had the legal right to be there. A rebuke from the father at this point against Satan was not even in order because his accusations against Joshua was right and was true. Are you with me? And God is not going to rebuke truth. He can't. He's holy. Regardless, even if it's coming from the devil, he can't rebuke it. As a matter of fact, God does not wink or ignore, nor does he make excuses for his children's wrongdoings. Joshua himself gave Satan his legal right to appear in the heavenlies to accuse him. Are you listening to that? Why was Satan there? Because what Joshua done and the way he was dressed gave him the right, a legal right, to come before God's throne to accuse him. How many times are we doing the very same thing as the children of God? We appear before God, but many times we do it with spotted and blemished garbage, making petitions, asking the Lord to do all this stuff, but yet we're really not repenting and we have spotted garments. And yet Paul made it clear in Ephesians 5, 27, that he might present himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. As a matter of fact, Psalms chapter 24, verse three through five says, who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord or who shall stand in his holy place? He that hath clean hands and a pure heart who's not lifted his soul up to vanity nor sworn deceitfully. But he, this man, he shall receive the blessings of the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. 
This is why that David said in Psalm 66 and 18, if I regard iniquity in my heart, keep iniquity there, Lord ain't even going to hear me. The Bible tells us in John 9 and 31, we know that God heareth not sinners, but if any man be a true worshiper of God and doeth his will, that's the man that God's going to hear. Amen? That's why that James puts such emphasis on James 5, 16. Confess your faults one to another. Pray one for them that you may be healed. Healed of what? Not just diseases, but healed of our spots, our blemishes, our backslidings. So why? Because he says, you got to confess your faults. you got to get that into the blood so that when you present yourself before God, it's the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man that availeth much. Give the Lord praise. Now listen to me. If we want God's blessings and we want the enemy to be rebuked off of our lives, then we have to have clean garments. Are you listening to me? It's getting quiet in here. What's this got to do with harvest? I'll show you. Joshua must be cleansed, purified, and correctly attired before a rebuke of Satan will be in order. Amen? There will be no blessings from the holy hill to those who have spotted garments. And as long as we are clothed with those spotted garments, it gives legal right for the devil to accuse us and it shuts the mouth of God from giving a rebuke over our lives to the enemy on our behalf. Isn't that sad? The enemy will not be rebuked in condemnation. Fear, doubt will rule in the place of faith within our lives and we'll live a mediocre life, a life of apathy. And that's where the Church of America is at today. Amen. In the modern day era that we live in, we would have told Joshua, why, why don't you bind and rebuke the devil off of your life? Use Matthew 18, 18. Verily, verily, I say to you, whatsoever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatsoever you shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Turn to the devil and say, I rebuke you, I bind you. Why didn't Joshua do that? Let me say something up front. I do not believe, I used to, but I do not believe in the popular practice of binding and loosening as it is typically employed by especially certain sects of Pentecost. We ain't studied that scripture. It's just so used out of context. Come on, it's getting quiet. There are many different facets of binding illusion taught among charismatic and Pentecostal believers, so many that I cannot even dress it, even a fraction of them. I got to study them. I thought, I didn't even know those things existed. Got to reading different books. I thought, where'd they come up with that? Where did they come up with that? Where did that come from? How do they believe that? What? what? Man, I, I, I was just blown away. There are those that believe that the believer has the power to bind demons over city, regions, and territories. They tell you to go walk sidewalks and go through the town. I bind you, devil. I bind you, demons. I bind you, spirits. I bind you, unclean spirits. And they tell you to do that all over the land. Well, first of all, we never see Jesus doing that, nor do we see the apostles doing that. Now, it may not be popular preaching among Pentecostals, but I'm telling you the truth. Jesus didn't go up and look over Jerusalem and say, I bind the demons over this city. No, you know what he done? He went up and he wept over it and he prayed over it. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. Come on. As a matter of fact, those that are doing this binding illusion isn't doing a very good job because I want to tell you something. They're not having everlasting rut. Somebody's letting them go after they bind them. They're everywhere. There are some that even teach that the believer has power to bind the demonics and cast them out and chain them up and throw them in a pit. That's actually taught in books. If all demons could be bound and cast into a pit before the day of judgment, wouldn't have Jesus taught that? Wouldn't have Jesus done that? 
If this was possible after 2,000 years since Jesus died, we would never be dealing with demons because they'd all be locked up somewhere. Amen? Let's face it. I bind you, Satan formula, among Pentecost is not working. I probably won't be the pastor of this church after this. Folks, I'm not taking our authority away from us as a believer, nor am I saying that we don't have dominion and power. I'm not saying that. We do have authority to cast out demons and evil spirits to those that are literally seeking for deliverance. We do. and That's a different message. I don't have time to go in how. I don't have time to tell you the difference. But we do have power to cast them. We do not have power to cast those evil spirits from the earth and bind them and put them in a pit. We don't even have the legal right to go around in a city trying to bind demons and devils. Even Michael the archangel and angels would not even do that. Amen? The only demonics that we see changed and held in captive is in Jude verse 9. And the angels who did not keep their proper domain but let their own abode, he has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of that great day. These were so vile, these demons were so vile and so mean that God would never allow them to be released upon the earth and he's got them held in chains in everlasting darkness until the day of judgment. That's what the Bible just told us in Jude verse 9. As a matter of fact, when Jesus cast out devils out of the man of Gadara, 5,000 devils, the man had a legion of devils, 5,000 of them, who were, and we know that because I'll tell you in a minute how we know there were 5,000. But when Jesus cast the devils out of this man of Gadara who was cutting himself and living in the tombs, when Jesus cast them out, he cast them out into a swine, a pig. There were 5,000 pigs and all 5,000 pigs became demon possessed. And the pig is smarter than a man. The pig ran off violently and jumped off a cliff and killed themselves. They'd rather die than have a demon live in them. Amen? Am I preaching okay here today? To try to bind or to change a demonic before the predetermined time of judgment is an attempt of us to presume upon ourselves the office of God as judge. Can I tell you, we put ourselves in the place of God. We are not God. Amen. The demons and the men of Gadara even recognized that it wasn't even their time for judgment. Listen to what they say to Jesus in Matthew 8, 29. And behold, they cried out saying, what have we to do with thee, Jesus of God? Are thou come hither to torment or judge us before our time? They recognized that there, there was a set time for them to be judged. The Bible even teaches us in Matthew 12, verse 43 through 45. When the unclean spirit has gone out of a man, he walketh through dry places seeking rest and he finds none. Then he saith, I will return into my house from which I came out. And when he has come, he findeth it swept and garnished. Then he goeth and taketh with him seven other spirits more wicked than himself. And they enter in and dwell there. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. Even so shall it be also with the wicked generation. In other words, these demons are going to be alongside the last day wicked generation. Now watch this. The unclean spirits that was cast out of the man, he roams around. He's cast out. But he roams around going through dry places in the world seeking a place to land. Amen? He isn't removed from the earth. He isn't chained up. He isn't locked up. He's free wandering throughout to and fro the earth. Folks, the truth of the matter is we are stuck on a planet with demons until the time of judgment. Luke chapter 13 verse 3, we see a woman that had a spirit of infirmity. Then we see Jesus commanding, be loose. There's that word. 
Notice that he simply loses the, loses the woman who is bound by Satan, but again, he does not bind the spirit that is obviously working in this woman's life. Notice that it is not spirits that are bound or loose, but it's people. The question is, do you want to be bound or do you want to be loosed? Now, here's, the, here's where it gets really interesting. When you look up Matthew 18, 18, the terms bind and loose are the Greek words, and I can't pronounce them, dio and luio or something like that. I'm speaking in tongues. I ought to get Josh up here, and he could butcher them too. But they are used in the context here in a legal sense. Say legal. Get that, what does that got to mean? What does that mean? It's a legal transaction here. Under the laws that ruled by the Jewish rabbi teachings, binding and loosing had to do with what was prohibited, which bound you, and that which was permitted, which loosed you. This is the teachings and the rabbinic law. If you've done something that was prohibited, it bounds you. If you've done something that was permitted, it loosed you. And this is not talking about works. We're not saved by works. But I want to tell you, it's talking about behavior. It's talking about lifestyle. It's talking about obedience or disobedience. It's talking about whether you're sinning or whether you're being righteous. Ain't got nothing to do with good works. Everybody wants to classify good works with behavior. Folks, good works and behavior are not the same. Behavior is a conduct of life by choice that God judges. It either condemns you or it frees you. Can I have an amen there? We, we even still use the terms bind and loose in the context of our courts today. It's a legal term. We speak of a matter that is bound over for further hearing or held for trial due to evidences presented. But we also hear someone else being released, they are loosed because there's no evidence that would cause them to be held over or bound for trial. Amen? How many's ever heard those expressions? Raise your hand. Let me know you're in this thing with me. Notice what is bound and what is loosed is what is done on earth, not heaven. Whatever is bound on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever is loosed on earth shall be loosed in heaven. It does not say whatever is bound in heaven shall be bound on earth. Whatever is loosed on heaven shall be loosed in earth. Does it say that, does it? When I get into the heavenlies, I'm not there to bind and loose. Where do we think we have the right to do that? Nowhere in Scripture do we see anything about Christ or the apostles doing that. Amen? This tells me, as I go to present myself to God and approach his holy throne, his holy hill, that whatever I have done on earth will either loose me or bind me as I permit myself in the heavenlies. Wow. Whatever I've done on earth will determine whether or not God rebukes Satan on my behalf and I become loosed or whether or not I become bound and blessings cease and I'm held over for trial awaiting the day of judgment due to the evidences that set against me. Even the heel. Have you ever heard the term heel? Today it represents the highest courts in our land. And every time we approach God's holy hill, we're coming into the courts of God. Do we not understand that? And it is here, there before God, who is holy, judges us by the wardrobe and the attire that we wear. And it better be covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen? 
If we stand before God with spotted, blemished, wrinkled garments, then it gives legal right for Satan to stand by our right side and accuse us, and it causes us to be bound due to the evidence that is presented against us, and Satan is not rebuked, and the blessings stop, and we await future judgment. Can you imagine that? Picture it with me. We go before God. We kneel before him in prayer. We enter into the heavenlies. Here comes Satan as an accuser. Satan's there just like he is with he was with Joshua. And he's presenting cases against you before God the Father. Amen? Now, the real question is, as I stand there, am I going to be bound or am I going to be loosed? And it's in my power to be either one by the way I conduct myself in my behavior here in, on the earth. If I'm obedient and I stand before God and I stand with clean garments that's cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ, when the enemy comes up to, re, comes up to accuse me, he will be rebuked and silenced by God because I'm justified by faith in Jesus Christ. But, if I'm out here practicing sin and hiding things and tucking things away and doing things I shouldn't do and it's come become a habitual practical practice thing and I stand before God, I got to hid to everybody else. It's not hid there. And that accuser's going to walk right up in that throne room. He's going to accuse you and there's not going to be a rebuke on your behalf and you're going to stand there guilty and you're going to be bound huh, over for trial. In other words, the judgment ain't came as of yet. It's in the future. Your trial's ahead of you and you stand there with no blessings from God until either judgment comes or you make it right with God. Now, here's the good, here, is that heavy or what? And even though it appears that no rebuke was given on the behalf of the prayer and the petition of the angel of the Lord, Jesus Christ, that the request from the angel of the Lord on behalf of Joshua has not fallen on deaf ears though. I love it. Notice what God says in verse 2. Is not this a brand plucked out of the fire? Huh. Oh. Israel, due to their sin, we all know was led into captivity by the Babylonians. They came and destroyed Jerusalem. They burned it with fire, carried away its people into captivity. They were bound, say bound. Why? They're seeing. The nation among nations was no more. The great nation of priests, the hope of Israel was all been crushed. The Babylonians' troops plundered the temple, desecrated the holy place, even dismantled the structure of the temple. Many of the people of God had been slaughtered and killed and murdered and tortured, and the rest was driven out to Babylon like a herd of cattle and like a herd of animals. They were bound, bound. The city of Jerusalem, the city of light had become silent and darkened and empty and raged by fire. Satan thought that he had won, but what perceived to be the fire of destruction, God allowed it, say allowed it, to happen and it became a fire of purification. God pulled Joshua up out of the ashes of defeat representing Israel and he begins to restore him back to the priesthood because he asked again, is not this a brand that's plucked out of the fire? Hallelujah. He wanted Satan to notice where Joshua came from. He came out of the fire. 
The spotted garments was a reminder of why Israel was destroyed and why destruction had came upon them. But God says, in the context of this fire, Israel's beginning to have a change of heart. Israel's beginning to turn back to their God. And while they're over there in Babylon, they hang their harps upon a willow tree and they could, they refuse to play in a strange land. And it's over there that they begin to call out on the name of God again. And their hearts begin to change. And their minds begin to change. And they remember home. And they begin to weep over Jerusalem. And all of a sudden, God begins to do a restoration in the heart of the people. And all of a sudden, God says in verse 4, and he answered and spake unto those that stood before him, saying, take away the filthy garments from him and unto him he said behold I have caused thy iniquity to pass from thee and I will clothe thee with a change of raiment in other words he said Joshua you were spotted and you were blemished but you've been through the heat of persecution you've been through the fire of God and I have purified you and you've come out as gold and he looked at Satan and said Satan you thought you had won and for 50 years Jerusalem has been destroyed but I got another thing coming this man along with Zerubbabel and along with a prophet by the name of Ezra they're going to come come back and there'll be a man by the Nehemiah that'll show up on the scene and the temple will be built and the city of light will come back again and in 1948 Israel will become a nation again and I'll put her on the holy hill and she'll be my people well glory I don't care how far you've got away from God or drifted or how spotted your blemishes are and you stand there and you're rebuked and blessings is lifted, God will forgive you. God will restore you. He'll put you through the fire if you don't. Some people are going through the fire. But the problem with America is, I'll give one testimony that I read and I could give many because I've been really doing a lot of research this week. The fastest growing church in the world. You know where it's at? Where do you think it's at? Somebody throw out some names. China. No, it's Iran. In the midst of a Muslim country, they're outgrowing every church in the world. They have no buildings. They have no money. They have no structure. They have nothing. They're underground. They can't speak the name of Jesus openly. An Iranian gave his life to Christ, announced the Muslim Brotherhood, entered into an underground church, and one day he was hindered by getting to church. God orchestrated that. He went to church, and as he was going, there were policemen everywhere and he backed off into an alley and he slipped away. He finally got around to where his mom and dad was at and the mom and dad was there. The people did not detect that was a church. He said, what are you doing here? I thought they raided you. He said, they didn't know we were a church. They thought we was just their fellowship and then we, thank God some of the women were doing something that looked like that. what they were doing was legal and right and it was like a, a Muslim culture kind of a thing. They never detected it was a church. They said, well, why they were doing that? They said, they were looking for you. Why were they looking for me? Because someone had ratted on you and told them that you have denounced the Muslim Brotherhood and they're going to kill you. Of course they're going to kill you. That's what Iranian government does. They kill Christians. I didn't, they didn't preach very much. And if the Muslims had their way by their own teachings, all of us are infidels and we don't have a right to live. Go read the Koran. 
Am I preaching all right? This man slips away and he ends up getting somehow uh, some visas and gets out of the country. I don't know how he done it. I don't know what country he went to first, but he ends up in Germany. And they find him out and they're giving a, a, a testimony in a church over there. And somehow he ended up in America first before Germany and got, something got all mixed up and they ended up shipping him to Germany. He wasn't allowed to stay here. And this is what he said. While I was in America, I was so amazed of how ignorant the believers are there in squandering away their religious rights. I have never seen such apathy and slothfulness in any place in my life. He said they are so bottled down with the cares of life and traditions and church and all of the kinds of things that go on in the world that they have no idea what it means to be spiritual. And he says, the whole time that he was there, no one asked him that if he believed in Christ. No one presented the gospel to him. No one invited him to church. And yet, in Iran, they're doing it every day at the expense of having their lives killed. But we remain silent, sitting on our pews, going through church as usual, and the cares of already say, well, I hope we don't preach too long because I got plans. We've already boxed God out of what God can do here today because we've already planned something in an event that says, God, if you move, I got to leave. We're lazy. We're slothful. We're arrogant. You say, man, you're preaching hard today. I'm not trying to browbeat anybody. I'm talking about the Church of America. If it doesn't fit your shoe, then you don't have to wear that. Amen? People don't come to prayer meetings. People don't come to church services. They don't get involved in harvest. They don't get involved in ministry. 80% of everything that's done in America is done now, they say, by less than 9% of the church. That's statistics. Church attenders now go to church and they have regular communion with God for at least around one hour a week. That's all they do. In Iran, they have communion with God every single day for hours. And why is it that visions are coming to people? Jesus is coming in and Muslims are getting saved by the thousands and people are being healed and people are being slain. Whole villages are giving their life to Jesus Christ. It's because the church has positioned herself right in the third world countries of America. They're not boggled down with the cares of life and they've not become choked and unfruitful. Would you stand with me this morning? I'll be mentioning this again. I'm not even going to go there because I'm preaching on that tonight. If you'll stick around, I'll preach my tonight's sermon right now. Folks, we're in trouble in America. There's a coup to take our president out of office, whether you like him or whether you don't. It's wrong. Where's the priesthood of believers rising up? Going before the throne of God and making havoc upon the kingdom of darkness through our prayer. The reason we don't go to the throne room a lot of times is because we have spotted and blemished and when we do get there, there's accusations against us that causes the devil to have a legal right and we're bound. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven when you present yourself to God. Whatever you loose on earth, you'll loose in heaven when you get before God.
Are you bound or loose this morning? I am asking this body to take a few moments this morning. It's Sunday morning. And I'm asking you to get around these altars and seek the face of the Lord. And I'm asking you to plead the blood of Jesus Christ on your life like you never have because we will not win a harvest if we don't have the anointing that breaks the yoke and the powers of sin over this country. We'll not be effective if we are bound ourselves. We're fooling ourselves to think that harvest is going to come to America just because there's an out day outpouring. God can skip America. And it's all up to the church. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn, turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sins. God gave Joshua grace. Grace. You can't earn the right to be forgiven. You can't go out here and start doing good works, feeding the poor and giving tithes and, and working in the church and doing nursery and, do, and say, well, that, that justifies everything. God, that is not going to free you. The only thing going to free you is not your good works. It's you being obedient to the law of God and coming and presenting yourself and saying, I plead the blood of Jesus. Amen. And this morning, I'm asking this body to please honor what God is saying here today. Seek the Lord. Come before his presence. Come before his holy hill in humility and experience grace. Wonderful, marvelous grace. Grace, don't be bound, be free. When you get up here off this altar, settle it at the foot of the cross. Be forgiven. Let Yahweh, let God Jehovah rebuke the devourer off of your life like he did to Joel in Joel chapter one. Oh, Holy Spirit, in the name of Jesus, free us here today. Free this congregation by the blood of the Lamb. Loose them by the blood of the Lamb, God. Let the blood touch every garment that is spotted and blemished. God, touch the, every heart that's got calluses and every heart that has been hardened. God, I ask you to let the blood of Jesus Christ soften and redeem and reconcile and forgive by grace, by grace, by grace. Loose your church as you did the woman with the spirit of infirmity. In the name of Jesus. Let us not dabble with symbols and objects and things that even have an appearance of evil, God. We don't want to be defamed. We don't want to be defiled. Let us flee the appearance of evil. Let us be the holy church of Zion set on a hill that cannot be hid because we're the light of the world. Forgive us, God. Forgive us in not being the priesthood of believers that's to go to and fro throughout this earth spreading your gospel, being representatives, being living epistles for you. I pray that this church be loosed. Just like the woman with the spirit of infirmity, Jesus said, be loosed. I speak that, be loosed. Be loosed. People, be loosed. In the name of Jesus. Don't let them be bound. Let them be loosed. Let them have clean garments. Oh God, I pray. Don't let them find themselves in the book of in the book of Revelations as they were looking at those that are in tribulation. Said these are those that wash their robes. It's too late, God. They went through tribulation, then they wash. Don't let us wait till then. Let us wash our robes now. We've been redeemed, but we have spots, we have blemishes. 
Cleanse us. Forgive us. We commit ourselves to you today in committal. We concentrate ourselves to you, God. This thing called the kingdom of God is real. It's calling. It's beckoning for people to rise up. Be leaders. Be aggressive. Be the church of the living God. Hallelujah, Lord. Be the example of Christ's body working on earth. Casting out demons, laying hands on the sick and seeing them recover. Speaking with new tongues, God. Help us to have, a, have that old time anointing that breaks yokes off of people's backs. In the name of Jesus. Father, I speak revival to the north, to the south, to the east, to the west. That cleansing will come to America. And those things that are happening overseas that are blowing us away, God. Help us to see them here right now in this country, I pray. Oh, God, but we have to get positioned right and do right. And wherever there's a remnant, you'll work. Wherever there's a remnant, God, you'll start it. Hallelujah. Lord, we are a brand, I feel like, plucked out of the fire. I feel like you're reaching into the heart of America and you're pulling us out of the fire that is being sent by the enemy. Help us, oh God. Help us to respond properly before you. I pray and I ask and I plead and I beg before you, God, in faith believing that you will not pass us by and skip us, but you will loose us in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. When you gave the great commission, you loosed your disciples. You loosed them, Father. Hallelujah. Uh, and they went throughout the earth doing your will, bidding, bidding, being obedient to the, your bidding and, your, and being obedient to your word. God, I ask you now, let us be of the same mind and nature of that. Oh, in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. 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 I want to tell you where God wants to get us as we begin to pray. Keep praying. Don't let me interrupt you if you're in a heavy prayer. I love that Psalms where he said, let us enter into his gates with thanksgiving. Let us enter into his courts with praise. God wants this church to be so free and so confident in the relationship with God and so loose. Say loose. Say loose. So loosed that literally that we have the confidence to come before his presence shouting and magnifying, not condemned. Amen? Not beat up. And though Satan will be there to accuse us, the blood of Jesus rids us of all the accusations because Jesus took our penalty upon himself. Hallelujah. Now, if you got confidence that you're right with God here this morning and you're putting things under the blood of Jesus, you're laying them out, you're laying them down, you're no longer going to be bound, but you're going to be loosed, Begin to magnify the Lord, entering his courts with praise. Come on, enter into his courts with praise. If you're not confident, just keep praying till God begins to heal that heart. Heal that heart. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Folks, the Holy Ghost is here. I said the Holy Ghost is here. He's visiting people right now. Oh, Holy Spirit, right now. Right now, God, begin to move. Begin to move, God. Lord, in the name of Jesus, I speak like Jesus on the people. Be loosed. I said be loosed. 
Hallelujah. Be loosed in the name of God is for you, not against you. Hallelujah. He's made a way for us to be free. Hallelujah. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit. We praise you here today. Hallelujah. You can just stay praying and worshiping as long as you like. Lord's not leading me to do anything. He just, he, he's walking among you. Just grab a hold of him. He's here to heal, uplift. He's here to heal. He's here for us to repent. Hallelujah. He's here to give us grace, marvelous grace. Cleansing us. Cleansing us. Cleansing us. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. morning and you're being beat up by Satan he's reminding you of all your past and he's telling you all the things that you've done or all, even while you've been a Christian even maybe this last week and the Lord wanted me to say something to you that if we'll confess our sins he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness and the very moment that you do it you're free you're loosed if you do it in sincerity and in open repentance you're free immediately just like that and God says when you present yourself before you, there'll be reminders and the enemy will come up and try to remind, but they will not be spots. They will not be blemishes. They will not be wrinkles. They'll be scars. But scars are not blemishes, nor are, are they wrinkles, nor are they spots, but they're testimonies. They used to be there, but they're not there no more. They used to wound me and afflict me and bind me, but I am free. Look, it's nothing but a scar. There may be a reminder, but it's past in the past. I am free. I am free. And I am free in Jesus' name. If you're free in Jesus, shout it. I'm free. Say it again. I'm free. Say it again. I'm free. Say I'm loosed. I'm loosed. I'm loosed. Now praise him like you think you mean it. I'm free, I'm free, I'm free. I'm free, I'm free, I'm free. I'm loosed.
worship him. Praise him and magnify him. May the Lord bless you. Be here tonight. I'm going to preach at you again. <laughs>